What I felt uh, during prayer one morning when I was speaking to the Father was these words. He calls me in, he leads me out. We're going to sing that at the end. But he calls me in, he leads me out. Or he draws me in to lead me out. And that's where it started. For those of you who know you get these words that come to you or you, you have a thought and you write it down, it, it starts as a seed and you start to ask and you start to pray and you start to dream and you start to imagine, what does this actually mean? And so the first thing that, I, that popped into my head was an illustration of my mother standing at the front door of the manse in Kilray before, if you don't know what a manse is, it's where a pastor lives in a house and the church provided it. You don't, you don't get a house, Neil, so... You don't live in a manse. Maybe you do. But uh, she was standing at the front door of the manse. There was back in the time, there was still telegrams, still pigeons. There was no mobile phones. Uh, there was nothing. You got your dad's old BT Cellnet hand-me-downs. It didn't work. Um, some of you might be too young to remember that. But I remember my mum calling me in. And there was three things whenever she called me in. There was three specific things that she was always calling me in for. Number one was she wanted to feed me. She liked to feed me. And the great story is that my family were called the Golightlies, which is funny because we're all a little bigger. And so my nickname back in school was Beefy. And it was because my mum loved to tar food. I mean, you needed your hiking boots on to get over the top of it. And my favourite was mince and potatoes. Mince and, like if I said the show, well, actually, my boys still ask for granddad's mince and potatoes because they love it so much. But it was made of real butter. It was made with all the best of the best. And it was piled on your plate this high. And you came in and you had to eat every single drop of it. And when my mum called me in for food, I came. Because I knew how good it was. And I also knew how much I needed it. There was also a summer, you know, a few summers in a row, I think I put on a stone for every summer. I was off school. Um, Worked that one out. But the first one is feeding. He calls us in because we need a good feed. We need fed. Or we have no energy. The second thing that sometimes she called me in for was, it's time to go to bed, David. I used to love being out to all hours and sometimes my dad would have to come out in the car and he'd have to drive around and he'd have to look for me. There was no MSN messenger. No, there was MSN messenger. There was no WhatsApp, WhatsApp. There was no Facebook. You get in touch. My dad had to drive out and actually physically look for me and say, you need to come in. It's time for rest. So second thing is that sometimes we need to go in for rest. And thirdly, I remember, sorry, in the second one, living in the Grange in Rich Hill, and my mum and dad would say, right, it's time to go to bed. And I remember looking out the windows. It was one of those houses where the bedrooms were downstairs and the living room's upstairs. You'll see it in the greens and the end of Rich Hill there. And I remember looking out my windows and saying, but, but daddy, it's still light outside. She says, it doesn't matter, son. It's time for you to go to sleep. And sometimes in the midst of all this, we don't want to rest. We don't want to sit down with the father saying, well, actually, son, I know it's better for you. And tomorrow's going to be a bad day if you don't go to bed now. And the third one is the one that I hate the most. The third one is loving discipline, loving correction, or constructive criticism. Maybe that's the way we can put it. And so I remember, I'm not going to go into too much details because I don't want to embarrass myself, but I remember when I was the pastor's child in Kilray, Kilray Baptist Church, a long time ago, I remember I thought it would be a good idea when I was 15 to take somebody's car out for a little drive on the road in the middle of the night. There's a few more bits to the story which I'm not going to share this morning. But my dad found out. And you know what happened when my dad found out? I wanted to run away. I was so terrified because I knew there's going to be consequences to my behavior. And so 
I wasn't brave enough that in my head I wanted to run away, like go get on a boat and go to Scotland or something like that. But I wasn't brave enough. So what I'd done was I went to my hiding place in the garden, which he didn't know about. I was still in the garden, but they thought I was miles away. And at one point, I decided it's time to go in. I need to face what's happening and I need to go in and I need to face my father. And I remember to this day, my dad, he didn't get cross, he didn't shout. I was standing in the kitchen. I remember it to this day and he just looked at me and he started crying. And he said, son, I'm so ashamed for the first time in my life of your behavior. And in love, he said this to me. Do you not realize whose son you are? I'm a pastor in this town. And it was not said in a judgmental way. It was said in a loving way. Do you not realize who you are? I hated it at that time. I rebelled. But now I realize he was teaching me something about my identity of who I was. He didn't shout at me. Maybe later on he did. But I knew that I had to go in. And so I went in. But then there's other times where correction comes and my mother had to come out and she had to grab me by the scruff of the neck. I remember one time when my middle sister Joanne was dating the man that's now her husband and he had this lovely burgundy 306. She was lowered. She had the best alloys, big spoiler, turbo diesel, black smoke coming out the back of it. Nostalgia this morning for all us older. I'm not that old, but anyway. I feel like I am sometimes now with all these things. And I remember it came to uh, half one in the morning, and it was their first date. My dad was walking up and down again. The pastor's daughter's out, all the hours of this man somewhere. And I remember going in the car with him, because I wanted to be, you know, the wee brother that was, oh, you're in trouble. We found her sitting in the car park, talking to him behind the Presbyterian church. And he went absolutely nuts. And he said, you get out of that car right now if you ever want to see that boy again. I remember one other time when I was 13, I thought it'd be a really good idea for me and my best friend, Sean, who was my best man at my wedding. We thought it'd be a really good idea. We were getting tense and we were going to the Northwest 200. But what we told our mothers were, we're all going to each other's houses. Do you ever remember that one? And so we went and we found this field not far from where your old caravan was. And it was completely full of tents, bikers, big, massive bike, smelly, hairy bikers. They're not all like that who were absolutely full drunk. And I can admit now that there was a little fear inside me the first night that we stayed there. But on the second day, Sean had one of his BT Cellnet phones this size, you know, and he was holding it about this. He got a phone call from his mother. He says, Sean, I know where you are, and I ain't coming to get you. <laughs> and so we stayed in fear in the tent. And next thing, this wee woman, she's about five foot two, ginger hair, she comes marching through all these bikers. Sean! Sean! And she gets into our tent and she pulls him out by the scruff of the neck and she trails him through that field. She doesn't care about the hairy bikers. And so sometimes, sometimes, and what I'm finding with me is 80% of the time, God has to come and he has to grab me by the scruff of the neck and say, David, you need to come in some things I need to say to you. I need to give you a good feed. You need some rest. And so that's the context of where we're going this morning.
That's the context of the thought. And so to, to frame that, I wanted to start off with, um, I've been reading Songs of Solomon or Songs of Songs, and I know there's um, different viewpoints of the individual, of the lovers to the lover, or the church to the bride, you know, the, the context of it. But I just want to read it as my king talking to me. I want to read it as that this morning. We can discuss the, the other bits afterwards. But Song of Songs uh, 5, chapter 5, verse 10 to 16, puts it in words that I couldn't, I couldn't put them into. On how he leads us and why we follow him, or how he leads me and why I follow him. So you, you can just follow along with me. I'm going to read from the Passion. It says this, He alone is my beloved. He shines in dazzling splendor, yet is still so approachable. Without equal, he stands above all others, waving his banner to myriads. The way he leads me is divine, his leadership so pure and dignified as he wear his crown of gold. He sees everything with pure understanding, how beautiful his insights without distortion. His eyes rest upon the fullness of the river of revelation, flowing so clean and pure, looking at his gentle face. I see such fullness of emotion, like a lovely garden where fragrant spices grow or a tower of fragrance. No one speaks words so anointed as this one. Words that both pierce and heal. Words, drip, words like lilies dripping with mirth. See how his hands hold ultimate power, but he never uses it in anger. For he is always wholly displaying his glory. His innermost place is a work of art so beautiful and bright. How magnificent and noble is the one covered in majesty. He is steadfast in all he does. His ways are the ways of righteousness, based on truth and holiness. None can rival him, but all will be amazed by him. Most sweet are his kisses, even his whispers of love. He is delightful in every way and perfect from every viewpoint. If you ask me why I love him, it's because there is none like him to me. Everything about him fills me with holy desire. And now he is my beloved, my friend forever. Isn't that beautiful? And so the invitation of him calling us in to lead us out is an invitation for deep relationship. Is an invitation to get to know the one who created us, the innermost being of us. And so in the Bible, we see many stories of people that were called in, pulled in, whatever it may be, and then sent out or led out in power. Um, Neville was just sharing with me yesterday morning that uh, Eugene was talking about Paul in the New Testament, that prayers were always revelation that led to power. And I believe this is the context of this. As we come in to be with him, he gives us revelation. And as he sends us, leads us out, it gives us power to move on. It gives us power um, from a place where we can't get in the natural realm. And so even thinking about stories like the story of David and Goliath, 1 Samuel 17, 48. As Goliath moved, towards, moved closer to attack, David quickly ran out to meet him. Imagine him, Josh, stand up there. Imagine Goliath, 10 foot tall, Spears, Josh comes in and goes, tell you what, big lad, I can take you on. And he laughs at him. He says, all right, I have a few stones in my pocket, mate. I'll take you out any day. Isn't that right? And in the natural, what would we think? Josh, come on now. You're having us on here. But what we don't know is Josh has been called in and pulled in by the father in that place of the wilderness. Josh knows who he is. Josh is confident in who he is. Not just in the physical, but mostly in the spiritual. How dare you defy the armies of the living God? And so what looks like impossible in the, in the natural, with the power of the Holy Spirit, 
is possible with the supernatural. Thanks, Josh, your good illustration. And so this sense of him calling us in leads people that are maybe ordinary to be extraordinary, like each one of us in here can be and have the opportunity to be. Joshua in the wall, can you imagine it? Right, lads, here's the game plan. You're going to get your trumpets, you're going to get your harps, and then we're going to shout, that big wall there is going to fall down, and we're all going to have a big party and thank the Lord after it. Can you imagine? Think of the context of these stories. People must have thought he was crazy, but Joshua was called in to be let out. Think of Joseph in prison. How many years was he captive? Sent away by his brothers. We don't want you. Thrown in the prison. But it says this in Psalm 105, verse 18 to 22. His feet were bruised by strong shackles and his soul was held by iron. God's promise to Joseph purged his character until it was time for his dreams to come true. Eventually, the king of Egypt sent for him, setting him free at last. Then Joseph was put in charge of everything under the king. He became the master of the palace over all the royal possessions. Pharaoh gave him authority over all the princes of the land, and Joseph became the teacher of wisdom to the king's advisors. For people that are led in, or sorry, called in, and understand being fed, being rested, and being built up in the right ways. They are the people that can change the face of this planet, and that's no exaggeration. Think of Noah and the ark, miles from water. Right, guys, I need some wood because we're going to build a big ark. There's a flood coming. I need you to get two of every animal, and we're going to build this big boat. Think of the ridiculousness of, is that a word? Of these stories in the Bible. And so God, I believe, is calling us to do these crazy things sometimes because he shows up in the middle of it he's the one that asks you to give up your well-paid job or to move to an area that no one else wants to move to because he's in the middle of it think of paul when he got saved or not when he got saved when he encountered the well suppose it was when he got saved when he encountered the risen jesus took himself away for nearly 14 years to get ready he was called away to learn how to rest, to learn how to feed himself, and to get those things out of his character that God needed to refine. Think of the fiery furnace. How else could those men walk into a furnace seven times harder than it should have been and walk out unless they were called in and being led out in confidence? Think of Jesus. Jesus, for 30 years, developed and grew, learned what it was to, to rest to eat don't know about the character things but I'm sure he had to work on it all for three years but most importantly even in those three years knew what it was to get away to be with the father and so the key is this I believe that he calls us in to change our thinking and to realign our hearts with his and that's one of the keys this morning to this, he calls us in, he leads us out. He calls us in to change our thinking and to realign our hearts with his. That is key. And so, a couple of weeks ago, I realized that my tires were starting to go bald again. It's because I do a lot of miles, but also it's because the alignment was out. And I took the car in, and I got my two new tires on, and he realigned them, and he said they were only out by about a mil, mil and a half each way. Now, we know how much that is. It's a tiny, tiny amount but it's done a lot of damage to the tires. We think of a boat that starts here. If it goes one mil off course, instead of ending up here, it'll end up here. 
And so I believe that there's so many of us, there are things in our lives that right now they might not be too much of a compromise, they might not be doing too much damage, but the destination that they're going to bring us to is not where God wants to bring us to. And so we can't change our destination overnight, but what we can do is change our direction. Now, if you don't know Jesus, you can change your direction right now. But in the context of your growth and relationship with the Father, it can't change overnight, but you can change the direction right now. And so he understands the power of thinking. And so I believe that he, the Father, is calling us in to realign our thinking, to change our thinking. I think this is key this morning, that he, want, he understands the power of our minds. And so um, I've been reading through a book, or listening to it, and it, it talks about the way men become criminals. This is according to a criminologist. And it says this, when men come into contact with crime for the first time, they abhor it. When they remain in contact with crime, they become accustomed to it. If they remain in contact with it long enough, they finally embrace it and become influenced by it. This is saying that any thoughts continually pass to the subconscious mind are finally accepted and acted upon by the subconscious mind. It then proceeds to translate that impulse into into its physical equivalent in any practical ways available. So what that's saying is the more and more we think of something, the more and more we fill our mind with something, then the subconscious starts to believe it and it starts to act on it and it starts to come out in our physical life. And so millions of people out there, you know them. They're full of doom and gloom, been offered a really bad hand in life. Everything's, oh, my luck's out the window. And it's because of the stuff that they continually say to themselves. It's because of what they let themselves be fed with. And then on the other hand, you have these people that you know, these Christians that they look like super Christians. My goodness, they just are filled with the Spirit. Everything's going right for them. And sometimes that's a face, which we maybe talk about later, but... The people that truly are genuinely like that, they are filling their minds and their subconscious with the glorious things of God. They have learned what it is to come into the Father and to be fed and to rest and to hear from him things that maybe are going out of alignment. And so what you place your faith in ultimately will show up in physical form. What are you placing your faith in? What are you spending your time on this morning that's coming out in physical form? Even with your time, with your finances, with your thoughts, what are you spending those things on that is coming out in physical form? Napoleon Hill says this, If a man repeats a lie over and over, he will believe it. Not only he will believe it, but he will believe that it is actually truth. Every person is who they are because of the dominating thoughts they choose to occupy their minds. And so I'm going to read another verse later, but I want to ask this morning, are there small compromises in our walk that we actually now believe are truths. That we have repeated it over and over in our head so much, it's okay. It's okay for me. I can cope with that. That we've got to the point where we actually believe it's a truth and it's taking us completely off where the Father wants us to be. Is there thoughts that are in your head about who you are that are complete lies from the enemy. And he wants to realign your thinking with what he speaks over you and what he says over you, but you're too busy to be drawn into him. And so the thoughts that we intentionally place in our minds, mixed with emotion, such as sympathy or love, they can affect affect every movement that we make on a daily basis. This is the power of our minds. 
mixed with emotions which are very dangerous can affect your everyday lives. And so the truth here is that thoughts are magnetic. You ever think of it? They attract similar thoughts and emotions. It's like a family. They attract the same family. They attract the same brands. Do you ever look at that? Most of the people in the world, they hang about with the same kind of people. They dress the same. They think the same. And it's the same with our thoughts. When we start on a path of thinking, oh, I'm not good enough. And then someone else comes in and she goes, oh, I was just thinking the other day I'm not good enough. I was thinking that the same too. Oh, let's, let's start talking about this together. Let's fill our thoughts and our subconscious with this nonsense about who we are. It's so basic. But they attract each other. And what starts out as a small seed turns into a massive forest. And what happens is it's like walking into a supermarket and it's all Kellogg's crunching up cornflakes. Who wants that? It's the same thing. Do you, do we, can we picture those people or maybe we are those people where it's always the same? Oh, life's so bad. Do you know what? Oh, it's just horrible. Oh. So negative about everything. But even if you're positive, it might not be really who you are inside. And so they all come together. But one of the good things is the fathers give us a response the fruit of the Spirit. And what I realized this morning is that he gives us the fruit, not the fruits. I've known that for a long time, but whenever the fruit of the Spirit come, it's not just one. He gives you them all. They all come together like a family in one brand. He gives you love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. He wants you to have these all. And it's not that easy, but we'll talk about that before we finish. And so... It's actually scientific, which Neil gave me. Neil gave me this big word, so I'll blame him. And there's a word behind it, and it's called neuroplasticity. Can you repeat that after me? Neuroplasticity. Neuroplasticity. Don't ask me how to spell it. And so it says this, our brains are constantly being shaped by our experience. Most of us have very different behaviors and thoughts today than we did 20 years ago. This shift is neuroplasticity in action. Changes in the brain structure and organization as we experience, learn, and adapt. With every repetition of a thought or emotion, we reinforce a natural pathway and each new thought, and with each new thought, we begin to create new ways of being. These small changes, frequently enough repeated, lead to changes in how our brains work. Neuroplasticity is the muscle building part of the brain. The things we do often, we become stronger at, and, and what we don't use fades away. That is the physical basis of why making a thought or action over and over again increases its power. Think about that in the negative and in the positive. Over time, it becomes automatic, a part of us. We literally become what we think and what we do. So if I was to rename this sermon, it would be, he calls us in to participate in neuroplasticity to lead us out. But I think that would be a wee bit too much. And so the God who created us and knows us inwardly and knows everything about us, he knows the science behind it and he knows the importance of how you think and shaping that thinking, but not just doing it once or twice, but on a continual daily basis where he calls you in because he understands that you can't be let out unless you have been called in and have been seated with him and have that five-course meal and eat it all up. And you learn how to rest. And you learn in those moments where he says, listen, David, there's a certain wee thing that if you keep doing it, it's going to lead to the wrong destination. And because I love you, I'm telling you now in love, 
this is the moment to give it over to me. And whatever that is for you, whatever the Father is saying in this moment to you, write it down. He understands ultimately our faith comes out in a physical response. He wants to infuse the natural with the supernatural. But in the middle of this, what does he want to say to us? What does he want to communicate? And I'm sure we could have thousands of sermons with this. But again, as I've been reading through uh, Song of Songs, Song of Solomon, I found this in um, chapter 2. It says, Arise, my dearest. And I want to speak this over you from the Father as we think about what he's communicating to us. Arise, my dearest. Hurry, my darling. Come along with me. I have come, as you have asked, to draw you to my heart and lead you out. To draw you to my heart and lead you out. For now is the time, my beautiful one. The season has changed. The bondage of your barren winter has ended. And the season of hiding is over and gone. The rains have soaked the earth. Can you not discern this new day of destiny breaking forth around you? The early signs of my purposes and plans are bursting forth. The budding vines of new life are now blooming everywhere. The fragrance of flowers whispers. This, or sorry, there is change in the air. Arise, my love, my beautiful companion, and run with me to the higher place, for now is the time to arise. How beautiful your eyes of worship and lovely your voice in prayer. You must catch the troubling foxes, those sly little foxes, those compromised hidden truths deep within that hinder our relationship. For they raid our budding vineyard of love to ruin what I've planted within you. Will you catch them and remove them for me? Will we do this together? And as I read this, I see the structure of what he's talking about. As he draws us in, he wants to give us hope. He wants to feed us. And after we learn the art of rest, he says, arise. And I believe this is something that's very important this morning. As I speak this over you, that there are people you need to be told, it's time to arise. It's time to start doing what you've been born to do. It's a new season. And as I was praying about this this morning, what kept coming over and over in my head was the words, keep dreaming. And I know I love to dream. But I believe that this morning the Father wants me to reiterate that and say it aloud and say it afresh that you need to keep dreaming. And the purpose of dreaming, they might not all come true, is that he gives you vision to move forward. But those dreams never become a reality unless we learn how to be drawn into him. And so he's inviting you to dream. He's inviting you to grow. He wants to give you destiny and purpose. And I believe this is a coming into a new season with the Father. I believe that for a lot of us, we are on the brink of the season where the leaves have fallen and they're starting to clear, but God's saying there's something new. But you need to learn the art of being called in to be let out. And so the Father, his number one reason for this is he wants deep relationship with you and me. It's a place where desires are to be passed both ways. It's a place where he wants your fears and your frustrations it's a place where he wants to instill faith and boldness into you. And I believe it's a place where he subtly wants to suggest things to you and me. And why do I say the word subtly? Because I believe God loves to give us things that we learn and grow in ourselves. Just like I gave Joshua the sheets of paper. I gave him 30 sheets of paper last night and I thought, I'll just see how he gets on. Because he'll probably do them one at a time. But if it was me, I'd take maybe five at a time and cut them. Less work. What did he do? He done like 10 at a time. <laughs> so they're all over the place. But it enabled him to come up with the first five and say, I don't know what went wrong, Daddy. Like, what did I do? He said, right, well, the next one, just maybe do three at a time, son. 
And so I believe God in those moments where he calls us in subtly wants to lay things in our hearts, wants to give us dreams and visions. Because you know what it's like. If you don't have to work for it, sometimes you don't really care. And I believe God in a good way wants to give us things, snippets of what lies ahead or what can be or what actually is so that we say, do you know what? I want this. I want what lies ahead. And I'm going to take it now. Can you, can you imagine? I'm 33. Can you imagine if I still had to go around to my mum and dad's house every day for them to dress me because they had never let me dress myself? It's not a pretty image. But there's some of us in here, we've maybe been in our faith for a long time and we're still not doing things for ourselves. We're relying on others around us. We're relying on leaders. We're relying on people in the church. We're relying on our wives or our husbands or maybe even our kids. But God's saying, now is the season. Let's get serious about what I'm calling you to do, what I've placed within every single one of you in a supernatural way. And so he wants to shape our minds and transform our lives. And what I believe as I was as praying about this, a key word was awareness. And in this, he draws us in because he wants us to be aware of him. And so I remember before I used to preach on a Sunday, I would have been on my knees. I would have fasted on a Saturday. I would have been up at four in the morning working my butt off to get his presence and you know, get his power within me. And it's not bad. I still enjoy getting up early and coming before the Lord and enjoy fasting and praying. But I'd done it out of the wrong heart. And this guy, a couple of months ago, he said, David, I just feel like the Lord's saying, you need to stop asking and just be aware that you already have it. His presence is already with you. And so it completely shifted my awareness of asking for instead of thanking that I already have and being more aware of. So I want to ask you this morning, in the midst of this being called in, what are you aware of? Now we could go out, like sometimes we do with Ronnie and Carolyn, and what Ronnie is aware of is, do they do chicken Maryland? How much is the bill? Do they do Coke? Will Carolyn see if I'm having a Coke? What will she say? Are we allowed to get dirt desserts? How much is it for three courses? Whereas Carolyn is probably looking at, how long is it going to take them? Is that table clean? What's going on here? Why is it taking them so long? Why is everybody so late? Excuse me, we've been here for 10 minutes. The awarenesses are completely different, but both are truth. Both are truth, and neither one in this instance is, is bad. But sometimes our awareness can be negative. And so thinking about me and Nicola, she could choose to be aware that I have stinky feet. Or she could choose to be aware that sometimes I pick my nose. She could choose to be aware of the inappropriate things or the silly things that I say sometimes without thinking. But what she chooses to be aware of is my my good attributes, most of the time. She chooses to be aware of those because she loves me. Yes, Pauline, she chooses to be aware of Billy's good things. And here's the key. Awareness is what either grows the relationship or completely kills it. And so this morning, as he's calling you in, what is it of the character of God that you're aware of? What people do you listen to? What things do you let infiltrate your mind that can maybe affect your awareness of the Father? And so God wants us to be aware of him, of the Holy Spirit, because he knows how important it is. 
Remember Moses? He said, I dare not go unless your presence goes with me. Think of 1 Samuel 16. Samuel was going out to choose the next king. And he went through all the big strapping men that would be great leaders. And in the midst of that, in his physical, he was looking, this is the boy I want here. He looks like a king. But he was so aware of God. Samuel was so aware that he heard that whisper, no, there's still one more that's not here. And so I believe God is calling us to be aware of him because he is going to give us opportunities in the natural, in relationships, in work, in life, to bring his presence and his kingdom as we're aware of him. And as the time's counting down, the next page you'll find what I've sent you out there. And I don't want to go through this in detail, but I really believe that this awareness also comes to the awareness of whether we operate out of an orphan or we understand that we are sons and daughters of the king. And so an orphan, to make a quick illustration, will come in and go, please, please, please give me, please, I need, please. Otherwise, a son or a daughter comes in and goes, Father, I believe I need this to accomplish what you've sent me to do. I know that I am allowed it, but in your will, this is what I feel led to do. You understand the difference of, please, will you see fit that this happens? Or And so there's some different context of the heart um, of an orphan. And again, this is something I would like to go into in more depth. And this is a great book to read. You can have a look at it afterwards. But I give you that because I know we don't have time. But I want to look at, at, at a couple of them, like um, source of comfort. The orphan heart seeks comfort in counterfeit affections, addictions, compulsions, escapism, busyness, hyper-religious activity, whereas the, the heart of a son seeks times of quietness and solitude to rest in the father's presence of love. Expression of love is orphan is guided and conditional based upon others' performance as you seek to get your own needs met, whereas the heart of a, of a son or a daughter is open, patient, and affectionate as you lay your life and agendas down in order to meet the needs of others and so all I want to say about this you can read it yourself is this imagine that you come in and you're having your one to one with the father and you go through all of these things and you say God I want to have a a heart to heart with each of these within the context of me and you and I would ask you that week this week to do that to take time and go over a few of these And so, have you ever wondered what a difference you could make in the area where you live or your family? Have you ever thought about how your life can be a blessing to others? Have you ever thought about how you can change the world for the better? Or maybe it's more of a micro level. Or how you can bring something of lasting value to those around you? Or how you can lead a fruitful life? And so this morning, some of you might be thinking, I am so dry, I just don't know what you're talking about. I am sick of looking at these people that seem to have it all together, that seem to be full of the joy of the Lord, that their life's going great, their finances are good, their family's good, their relationships are good, they have everything, but I don't. And one of the things I can say is that on most occasions, those are the people that their hearts are so aligned with the Father that these things flow and the other most important thing is that I believe it's choice 
And so these people that look like super Christians, most of them have probably been through, there it goes, time to stop, have been through lots of hardships, but they choose to respond differently because of their hearts that are aligned with the Father, because of being drawn in to be led out. And so Ravi Zacharias, I said this a few weeks ago, says that consequences are bound in choice. And so this morning, this is where I'm going to leave it, is that all these things that I've talked about, this being drawn in or pulled in, you have the choice to make, whether you stop making excuses or keep making them, or whether you respond to the call of the Father, or that tap on the shoulder, or that loving round the neck, get in here, it's time to be with me. Bruce Springsteen says, stop waiting for the man you want to become and be him today. What's your excuse? What's your excuse today for continuing to let your thoughts be transformed by the world instead of by the Father? Because you've heard this morning that what you put in in thoughts will ultimately come out in action in the physical. So I want to challenge you what you're doing today. Make the choice to stop or to change or to realign with the Father. John Maxwell says this, that motivation is a response of choice. Just do it. Motivation is a byproduct of just doing it. You will never wake up in the morning and have enough motivation to get up at six in the morning to do your hit workout and then spend time with the Lord. You will not have it. But what you will have is the choice to say at six o'clock, it's not for everyone. I'm getting up and I'm going to do it. And you know what happens? As you keep doing it, motivation starts to come. As you keep doing it, um, song to song, verse, or chapter 8, verse 7, it ends with this. I'm not going to read the whole thing. In response to what, um, to continually doing it, the last few words are this, until it won't even seem like a sacrifice. God can and will bring you to that place where it won't even seem like a sacrifice anymore when you make that one choice. When you make that one choice with your thoughts, with your actions, with learning how to rest and being intentional within your diary to spend time with the Father to feed, to rest and to realign. Let me finish with this. A few minutes over. Mark Stibb, who wrote another book um, called I Am Your Father, another great read. He says this, the most important thing to notice about the Lord's Prayer is how it begins. Before anything else, Jesus encourages his apprentices, his disciples, to address God as their heavenly Father. Before they can pray, your kingdom come, they have to pray, our Father. Before they can become those who will bring the kingdom of rule, or kingdom rule of God, they must be those who know God as their Father. Before they can use the authority and the power of the kingdom in preaching and ministry, etc., they must be firmly rooted and grounded in the Father's love. The greatest priority of all is to know God as Father, and to call him Father in authentic relational prayer. In authentic relational prayer. If you heard some of my prayers, there is no higher priority than this. Let's stand. And so as I stand this morning, we're going to sing, but I want to encourage you to get your hopes up, to get your expectations up, to think today for some time what it is that's maybe taking you off course that needs realigned, even in your thinking. And so this is something I've struggled with for years, and I have really genuinely started putting into practice how I respond. 
Still not great at it, but we're getting there. And the difference that it makes when we seek intentionally to choose to align our hearts with the fathers in every single little, tiny, or big situation that we face in life or the things that people say to us or about us. And so I want to encourage you this morning that he wants to be your friend, your father, your priest, your king, and your savior. Let's stand. I want to pray over you. And we're going to be open for some prayer as well. When we were at the um, Open Skies Festival, Heidi Baker was speaking. Um, and uh, I remember going in. Saying, so the last time that she spoke, I had this amazing encounter with God, something so profound and so deep. Um, everything she spoke about, the Lord had given me, and I'd written it down before she spoke it. And it was personal for me. And so I was going in, right, God, I have an expectation of what I want you to do and what I want you to say. Do we ever have that? We talked about that with the prayer time a few weeks ago. And so I came in and I was standing there, God, I want to encounter you. I want to hear from you. What have you got to say to me? And as I stood there, the only thing that kept hitting me over and over were these words. I love you. And that was it. And if that's all you need to hear, if you forget all the neuroplasticity nonsense or whatever it may be, maybe this morning you just need to hear from the Father, I love you, just as you are. But I love you so much that I don't want to leave you where you are. So Father, I thank you for your presence that is already here. I thank you for the hopes and the dreams and the future and the vision that you have already placed in the hearts of people in this room. And so God, I'm asking right now, as I believe we are pushing forth into new seasons as individuals, as a church, as a ministry, that are made with intentional choices. God, will you pull us in or draw us in and speak to us, feed us, Help us learn how to rest. And God, I pray that just like Joseph did, that the dreams would purge our character, Lord. I believe that the purpose of you showing us glimpses of the future is so that we can get ourselves into the right position for that now. So God, those dreams that we have, God, I ask right now that they would purge the things in us, Lord, that are holding us back, that are acting as blockages, not for religious purposes, but for relationship, because God, we love you, and we want more of you, and we want to see more of you, and we want to see more of your supernatural, miraculous Lord, to point to you, and to point to your heart, and to where your goodness, your goodness, God.